Later this fall, it's been targeted for November. Uh, the fourth installment in the Ghostbuster film series will come out. It's called Ghostbusters Afterlife. And you may recall, those of you who have watched the original, or paid attention to some of the films, you may recall the lyrics from the theme song. If there's something strange in your neighborhood, who are you going to call? <laughs> Very good. If it's something weird and it don't look good, who are you going to call? If you're seeing things running through your head, who are you going to call? Two more and you'll be done. An invisible man sleeping in your bed, who are you going to call? If you're all alone, pick up the phone and call. Very good. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could have somebody to call for all of our problems? No matter what problem we face, that it was as simple as picking up a phone and placing a call and the help that we needed, the rescue that we wanted, would arrive on our doorstep. And maybe some of us are used to this. Maybe this is part and parcel of how we go about living our lives. We have a leaky pipe and we call a plumber. We have money issues and concerns, anxieties, and we call a financial advisor. Or maybe we just have anxieties themselves and we call a psychologist. But how about when our problems do not have ready solutions? Who do we call when we have an inoperable brain tumor or overwhelming, life-crushing grief or that sense of rejection, whether it be at work or among friends or even within our own family? What if the problems are larger and in that they affect us, but they affect others even at the same time. Who do we call when there is rampant racial injustice? Who do we call when we are feeling the effects of religious fundamentalism? Who do we call when we're experiencing a global pandemic? You know, it's one thing to call and to receive encouragement. And by the way, encouragement is wonderful. I know that I've reached out to many in this congregation when I've been struggling. And to receive encouraging words is quite a gift. But we all know that encouraging words is not the same as rescue. As salvation. Who are you going to call? Well, the writer of the psalm that we're going to look at this morning faced a particular problem. And so the, the psalmist, and we, this is uh, written to the choir master uh, in the name of, uh, it's associated with the, the choir director, and it says a psalm of David. Whether it was just associated with David or written by David, uh, or that was applied at another time, scholars debate those things. But the psalmist writes a, a poem about the problem he faced, and where he turned. We're going to take a, a, a look at the text, and it might be helpful before we read it that we would um, understand its structure. 
And I'm thankful to the work of Dr. Gerald Wilson on this. By the way, Dr. Wilson, who um, died back in 2005, he was actually a professor of the Old Testament and Biblical Hebrew at Azusa Pacific University, where Nathan went to school. And here's what he has to say about the text. It, it really comes to us in three parts. And maybe you noticed it as, as we read through it. By the way, there is still some discussion on this, and, and it, maybe it's outlined a certain way in, in your version of the Bible and in your translation. But uh, 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 according to the work that Dr. Wilson put out, that we have three parts. The first part is verse, uh, verses 1 through 6. And what we have here is what they refer to as an inclusio. An inclusio. That there's this beginning statement, this beginning affirmation, followed by a description of the trouble, of, of, the, uh, of the problem that the person has experienced, and, and then ends with a reaffirmation of what was affirmed at the beginning. So an affirmation of God, a description of the problem, and then a reaffirmation of God. And following that is a transition. A transition where the psalmist essentially says, you know, what's true for me can be true for you. What's available to me can be available to you. And then following the transition provides the uh, three aphorisms. Maybe that's a new word to some of us. Aphorism. It's a, it's a, a concise little statement. It's an observation that, that contains a general truth. And, and you could look up that definition for yourself. It's an observation that contains a, a general truth. One of the examples that is, is often cited is something like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's an observation. It has its truth. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And so the author here, the, the psalmist, provides for us these three aphorisms, one about status, one about wealth, and then one about God. All right, so with this in mind, I'm going to encourage you that if you have your own Bible, please go ahead and open it. And if you want, feel free to use one of the ones we provide. It'll be helpful to have the, the text in front of you as we go through it this morning. For the reading, we'll go ahead and put the words up on the screen too. Psalm 62, verses um, 1 through 12. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him, like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O oh people, pour out your heart before him, God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this. 
that power belongs to God and that you, O Lord, belong steadfast love. For you will render to a person according to his or her work. May God bless the reading of his word and may God bless our time together. Well, let's take a look at uh, each part that we identified uh, in turn. Let's begin with the first part, the first six verses. We might sum it up with these words. Put your problems in proper perspective. Put your problems in proper perspective. Do you know that in our country, anxiety disorders, not just, you know, low levels of anxiety, but anxiety disorders affect 40 million people, over a third of our adult population. And one of the therapies that is often used for people that are experiencing some level of anxiety disorder is something that they refer to as cognitive behavior therapy. Cognitive behavior therapy. And and what they do in cognitive behavior therapy, or CBT, is that they work to overcome unhelpful Uh, thought patterns or unhelpful behaviors by confronting the dysfunctional or the disordered thinking that helps to bring those patterns about. So they they help people be able to think more clearly, more accurately about things in that way to be able to address the unhelpful patterns of thought and behavior in their life. Essentially, that's what we've been doing this year. Uh, as we've been talking about the idea of I belong. We've been coming back to this over and over again to, to be able to order our thinking in a different pa- uh, pattern, in a more healthy pattern. That we've been asking the question, what, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And following the lines of the Heidelberg Catechism, that my only comfort, body and soul, in life and in death, is that I don't just belong to myself. I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't belong to anything else, but I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And that confronts the unhelpful and unhealthy patterns of thought in our life. If we follow down the the answer that is provided in the Heidelberg Catechism, we actually come to this section that reads like this. Listen to the kind of protection we have in and through Jesus Christ. That he protects me so well that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that everything must fit his purpose for my salvation. Do you get that? That through Jesus Christ, by belonging in him, that nothing can happen to us that is outside of God's will. That everything that happens to us fits his will for who we are and what we are becoming. That everything must fit his purpose for our salvation. That means that anything we run into, any challenge, any problem, any struggle, any suffering, falls under God's hand and God's rule in our life. Well, for our psalmist, he identifies his problem in verses 3 and 4. And it has to do with an injustice. We read it in the text this way. How long will you attack a person to batter him? Like a leaning wall or a tottering fence. Here is how he's feeling. That yes, let's say that this is indeed King David. We might go, a person could be tempted to say, listen, you've got the power 
you've got the wealth, you've got the role, you've got the status. How could things be going hard for you? And yet we know among leaders that leaders often feel isolated and lonely and, and they lead only when they have followers. And, and so when life around them begins to crumble, the, that feeling of isolation can be only increased. And we know from the life of David that even his own son would, would pursue his demise, would seek his death. David, if it is David here, the psalmist calls out, how long will you attack a man? And he goes on to describe in verse 4, the only, they only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but in, inwardly they curse. They're telling him good things. They're, they're saying good words in his, um, in his presence. But inside, it's a whole different story. This problem coming before him. But what David does is he says, I'm not defined by this problem. This problem has its position in my life and it has consequences, but it does not define me. It does not crush me. Instead, he crushes the problem between the affirmation of who God is and the reaffirmation of who God is. And so we look at verses 1 and 2 and we look at verses 5 and 6 and they become the very thing that hems in whatever problem the psalmist confronts. Both sections talk about waiting in silence. The, verse 1 talks about it as a description, my soul waits in silence. Verse 5 talks about it as an exhortation, wait in silence. There's a number of words in, Hebrew, in the Hebrew language that, that speak to this idea of waiting or being still. In fact, we know of one of those words through uh, Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. That's a different word entirely. That's more like the word cease, desist, be quiet. Here we have such a gentle word. My soul waits silently. It's much more like the text that is familiar to uh, a, a bunch of us, I'm sure, that in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse, verses 6 and 7, where we read, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, the wholeness, the salvation that is ours in God. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The psalmist says, my soul waits quietly, silently. And then affirms, and God is my rock my salvation, in fact, in the second uh, set in, verses, in verse 5 and 6, we have it that instead of just salvation, God is my hope. The idea that, that my salvation is so secure, I can have hope in that salvation coming. That's where my hope comes from. God is my fortress. I will not be moved. I will not be shaken. It's this picture of ultimate security. I love, I love that Joss in the call to worship uh, describe that situation that she had where she was hiding in the uh, clothes rack with a friend of hers and her friend heard the whistle. Uh, and may, maybe you've seen this before too with kids, that, that small kids, how they, they can um, 
wander off. They think they're within the safe distance of their parent. In fact, they recognize the color of a pant leg or maybe the color of a shoe, and they start to come close to that person. And some, at some point, it confronts them, this isn't mom or dad. Have you ever had that look, you know, that child looks up at you and like, you're not who you're supposed to be. And quickly, their eyes turn, and they find mom or dad or grandparent, and they make a beeline to the safety zone. And here, the, the psalmist is saying, listen, we can be distracted by this problem. But when we turn, when we look aright, we know where our salvation is. We know where our security is. The problem may still exist. But we know where our salvation comes from. So what problems are we facing today? Are the problems we're facing in our marriage, under our roof? Are the problems we're facing in marriage, are they because we no longer sense intimacy? We, we find that discussions turn into arguments quite quickly. Are we struggling with finances and we're wondering, will we ever get out from under this debt? Will we be able to make it through retirement years? What are we going to do with those student loans? The troubles we're facing, do they have to do with friends? Friends who now seem to be moving on or, or, or no longer connecting or there's betrayal or there's struggle of wondering if we have a friend. And whatever trouble, whatever suffering, whatever uh, situation we find ourselves in, the psalmist is telling us, put them between the affirmations of who God is. Find and, re and recognize where your security comes from. You, if you're wired like me at all, one of the things you enjoy is you love watching things get crushed. I, I love it. I think it's so cool. Have you ever seen one of those car crushers? So you can put an automobile after you strip off the toxic stuff, after you take away the things you can sell, and you put it on this platform, you, and you have this machine, 2,000 pounds per square inch, and 150 tons of, of force coming together on, on, a, on a vehicle, and they can turn it into a bale of hay. They can just crush it together. It doesn't mean that the car no longer is there. It just has its proper size. It has something that can be, that can be dealt with. And so the psalmist says, listen, let me affirm who God is. Here's my problem. Let me reaffirm who God is. Let's crush this problem. Oh, it's still there. We still need to deal with it. But we have a better perspective on what the problem is. Then the psalmist gets to the transition. And in verse 7 and 8, we find these words. On God rests my salvation. It's a reaffirmation again. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. And then he turns the corner. He goes, this is true about me. Listen, it can be true about for you as well. Trust in him at all times, O oh people. Pour out your heart. The Hebrew here is pour it out until it's empty. Pour it out until it's fully drained. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. What is true for me can be true for you. What is available to me, the psalmist says, is available to you. And so then we get to the second half of it and 
maybe we'll sum this one up by simply saying, seek your source of salvation wisely. Seek your source of salvation wisely. You know, the Psalms uh, know us. <laughs> it seems as though that, that as the Psalms are written, they, they know how we feel and behave and react to things. Again, if we're making references to parents, it's like somehow uh, when mom or dad yells up and says, turn off your light and go to sleep. How did they know? How did they know? They're downstairs in the TV room. How did they know my light was on? And somehow they, they know, probably because they did the same thing when they were kids, but, but the Psalms know us. And so the psalmist here points out, listen, I know the places where we often turn for our security. And so in the first aphorism, this first little statement, we're told, don't rely on status. Don't rely on your position. The psalmist puts it this way in verse 9, those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Position and status cannot carry the weight that God alone can carry. And so we often might turn to our skills and abilities. Like, well, of course I can do that. I know how to do that. And yet those can fail us. We might uh, turn toward things like a, a title we have um, or our skin color, or our nationality, and, and our athleticism, or whatever, might we, whatever we hold about ourselves and, and we often rely upon. We know in this world those can be tender things, that they can fail us. So do not rely on these. Do not turn to these for your salvation. The second aphorism, do not rely on wealth. Here's how, the, how it's put. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. No matter how you come to your wealth, do not set your heart on it. You see, both wealth and standing, both wealth and status are relative to other humans and vastly limited in substantive power. They will not save us. And so the third aphorism, God alone saves. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this. In other words, the psalmist is saying, pay attention. That power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. Do you get the two things together? That to God belong both power and love. If God were only powerful, then we would have to be concerned is, the day to, is this day the day that God would be cruel or kind? We wouldn't know because if God were only powerful, if that's all we knew God was by his power, we wouldn't know if today held our salvation or our demise. At the same time, if God were only loving, we wouldn't know if he would be able to overcome anything we came up against. He's a nice guy, but, but can we trust him to actually be there when we need him? But because God is both powerful and loving, then he's the right source for our security. Which means that he can render to a person according to his work. In God, we receive justice. We receive salvation. So who are you going to call? 
who are you going to call? Putting problems in proper perspective and seeking source of our sources of salvation wisely. If this is our calling, we would be encouraged that it's best to begin with the smalls. That we begin with the smalls. In fact, in, in uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, they actually encourage you. Make a list of the things you're facing and then order that list in in the easiest to the hardest, the, the most simple to the most complex. Go ahead and make those lists of the unhealthy things that, that are confronting you, the problems that you're, conf- you're, you're having to deal with. And then begin to work on the easiest of them. And by the time you get to the hardest, you'll be in a much better position to deal with them. Well, it just so turns out that, that if we build a pattern in our life where, where we're affirming God and and seeing the rest of the day, and then reaffirming God. And we build that pattern, turning to God, dealing with life, turning to God. And we build that pattern in our life with the small things, that when the big things come along, we're ready for it. When we practice in the small, we're ready for the big. You know, none of us knew two years ago that we would be facing a global pandemic. According to the WHO, as of Friday... There have been 218,946,836 confirmed cases of the virus. And those are just the confirmed ones. Which means that there have been 4,539,723 deaths. And those are just the ones that we know have been attributed to COVID. We did not know two years ago that we would be facing a global pandemic. You and I might not know the trouble that's on the horizon in our personal lives or in our corporate lives. But we do know the God to whom we belong. We do know the God who is in charge of all things, without, without whose um, uh, presence not, not even a hair can fall from our head, that, that everything under his rule will work uh, together for our salvation. And so we can begin turning to this God every single day and making the call. Would you call him today? Would you reach out to God today? Whatever happens to be in your life, could we not turn to the other alternatives, not turn to status or wealth or, or distraction or all the other things that might make the list, and instead see God for who he is? practice making the call today, calling him regularly, calling him often throughout any given day, talking with him. Who are you going to call when trouble comes your way? Let's call the God to whom we belong. Let's pray. Father, you know the troubles that each one of us face. And we realize, Father, that they simply won't go away when, when we talk to you. But God, would you help us to set our troubles, our problems in the secure place of your love. May we re-enter our world. May we re-enter the challenges we face not as uh, people left to themselves. Not as people struggling to find out where their salvation comes from, where, where their hope rests. But as your children called to be your children in whatever life happens to have for us. God, thank you for being who you are, for being both powerful and loving.
we once again turn our hearts and our minds, our very selves to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.